Genesis chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 27, God willing, 27 through 29. Verses 27 through 29. You recall that we've been looking at this chapter, I know, for quite some time now. And looking at it in several different ways, one of which is the lens of looking at it now, is how should a believer who is in fellowship with the Lord uh, view and respond to judgment? We've looked at the Scriptures and measured them against our time, which is the way any time should be assessed. The method by which it should be assessed is the Word of God. And it's pretty apparent that we're experiencing the wrath of God right now as a people and the wrath of abandonment. We know that we've made the case and certainly celebrated the fact that God never leaves His people. He promised us that. He would never leave us or forsake us. But for those who don't know Him and they begin to turn their back on what they clearly know about Him through conscience and creation, He begins a, a, a what is really a merciful act of saying, okay, if you don't want uh, anything to do with me, I'm going to let you have your way. And uh, we saw that in, and see that in Romans chapter 1. And so we're looking at it, we've been, we've been looking at the life of uh, Lot, who was a believer, who was in relationship but not fellowship. And the devastating consequences of the bent and direction of his life and the trajectory of his life. And we've learned from him what not to do. And now we're going to move into looking at Abraham as, as, to, uh, as to what to do. We've been using uh, what we've been looking at in, in a series of B statements, B-E, the word B as in boy, E as in Edward, B. Last week we talked about in view of impending, in view of the, the judgment that we're under, the wrath of God of abandonment, to be focused. We uh, went into that. Be focused on things eternal. To be sober and uh, be sober-minded, not be influenced by anything or anybody other than the Holy Spirit. Uh, we don't want to live under the influence of any uh, one except the indwelling Holy Spirit who lives inside every believer. And then we looked at last week, be holy as well. And then be content. And we see the polar opposite in, in example in the life of Lot from all of those. And now we're going to look in to see uh, what, what was Abraham's response? Because Abraham pictures for us a believer who's not only in relationship, but he's in fellowship. And uh, I tell you this, I mean, just in my personal prayer life, I just want to say to the Lord, please, Lord, help me to be not like an Abraham, but help me to be like a lot. Help me to be the man who's not only in a relationship with you, but God, now that you've purchased a relationship and got me in, please help me to be in fellowship with you. I want to be in fellowship with you. And so we see when the angels came and they warned of impending judgment, we looked at things from a broad standpoint and looked and saw in Matthew 18, or excuse me, in Genesis 18, three angels come. Three angels come and warn uh, Abraham of judgment that he's about to level upon the cities of the plain. And we talked about the fact early on that that represents the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And because he was in fellowship, uh, with uh, the Lord. He was, he was hearing clearly from the Lord. And then we look and see at the very next chapter, the very next chapter, two angels come to, uh, to see Lot. And we made the case that that represents God the Father and God the Son. But he had done something 
in relation to God the Holy Spirit that we as believers can do and we need to caution, we need to, we need to hear the caution not to do. He had grieved and quenched the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. He'd offended God by the fact of the way he was living. And so for that, uh, he narrowly escaped judgment. He did escape it, praise God, as Spencer celebrated this morning. He escaped the wrath and judgment of God because he was a believer. But as we've talked about time and again, there was little or no evidence in this story uh, about him, this accurate account about him that, uh, that he was a believer. But he was. And now we're going to look at Abraham. Oh my, what an example. And in light of the judgment that's coming, we're going to look at two things this morning to add to our B list. And the next one, the next two are to be watchful and to be prayerful. To be watchful and to be prayerful. Look at Abraham. Let's go look at it. Would you stand with me in reverence and respect out of God's precious word as we read from it? Genesis chapter 19, 27-29. says, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overflow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelled. That's the word of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Thank you for standing. God remembered Abraham. What do you remember about Abraham? He remembered Abraham's intercession that took place and Abraham's response to being informed that judgment was coming. Abraham didn't run into the tent and say, Sarah, guess what? Um, all the cities on the plane are about to be put up in smoke. Let's see if we can get out the video camera and watch it happen. Um, he didn't, uh, he didn't uh, even himself try to say, well, let's set up some shields around the camp just to make sure that none of it comes our way. Let's protect ourselves. Let's get up in a corner somewhere and, and just endure until it's over. He didn't do any of the things that we can do and often do in response to what's going on around us. But what did he do? His response was to appeal to God. His, his response was prayer. His response was intercession. See, see, Abraham, at that time, God saved Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And that's when he was saved. And after Abraham was saved, and God had already spoken to him and sold some things to him ahead of time before he even got saved. After he got saved, it began a journey and a walk between he and God. And Abraham began to pick up some things about the character and nature of God that he didn't forget. He began to realize and understand that, you know what, this God that had called him and had come to him and rescued him from idolatry. Remember, this Lot came from an idolatrous family. They were idol worshipers. And he took him from being an idolatrous pagan to setting him up to say, you're the father of the faithful and that through you all the descendants of the earth are going to be blessed and your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. And Abraham never not once said, well, I guess that's because I'm a good guy. I must have some talent. There must be some entrepreneurial potential he sees in me. I mean, he must have picked me because, uh, you know, 
I'm Abraham, after all. Abram, man, you know, he's got plans for me because I'm a gifted, talented guy. You never see that not one time. What do you see underneath the text and the unwritten part of the narrative is this. Unbelievable gratitude because he had no other reason to embrace the promises God had made for him uh, based on not anything that was in him, but what he came to know to be true about God. It was God's character that Abraham came to know and believe. I've used this example before because it's just such a good one. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But years ago, I was at a Bible conference. Years ago. I'll never forget it. And Adrian Rogers was preaching. And he was a prince of preachers. He's in heaven right now. But boy, I'm telling you right now, he could just flat teach the Word of God. And he gave us an example. And his, his whole message was on faith. And he gave us an example that y'all heard before maybe, but I believe it bears repeating. Somebody came to him one time and he pastored a large church in Memphis, Tennessee. Thousands of members. And he was a high demand speaker. And somebody came to him once and said, uh, Brother Adrian, pastor, you, you know, you've got a beautiful wife and you leave here all the time to go and uh, fulfill a demanding speaking schedule that carries you all over the world. And he said, you leave this beautiful wife at home by herself all the time. Uh, you must be a man of great faith to leave your wife here like that. And even though that was a, just a tongue-in-cheek remark and a cut-up, he turned to him in real seriousness and said, listen to this. I'm not, a great, I'm not a man of great faith. You just don't know my wife. He said, that's the character of faith. See, faith had nothing to do with Pastor Rogers, but had everything to do with what he knew about his wife. And he said, that's what faith in God's like. Faith in God has nothing to do with the person that expresses it but has everything to do to the God to whom it is expressed. And to know God is where faith comes from. When I begin to know something about the character and nature of God and His ways and how He works, and He starts building a track record with me, and we put some stones in the stream that say, you know what, God did it then and He can do it again. God healed Jeff Summers' grandfather and He can heal and He still heals. And if he, even if He doesn't heal, He's still God. Even if He doesn't do it my way, He's still God. Even if He doesn't do it according to my plan, He's still God and He's still faithful. And Abraham began to, came to know some things about God that became important to him in that moment. What do you know about God? Well, the reason he knew something about God is because he'd been watching all along. So before we're ever prayerful, we need to be watchful. I didn't make that up. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. If you will, please. Let's go there for a moment. 1 Peter 4, verse 7. In 1 Peter, he gives us instructions similar to what we're looking at here in, in, in the context of persecution and the fact that we're talking to a persecuted people. How do you respond in the middle of all the turmoil that's going on around you? And he comes to 4.7 in 1 Peter and he says, The end of all things is at hand. That word end does not mean end in the sense that we know about it. The end of all things is at hand. What that means is the consummation of all things is upon us. Everything that God predicted and said was going to happen whereby this age is ended and that ushers in a new eternal age is about to happen. And, and, and it is at hand. So therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be serious 
and watchful in your prayers. Let me say this to you. From a broad perspective, from a broad perspective, God is about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain because of the rank and file evil there had, had accelerated to a point where it had risen up against the, uh, uh, to, to the very uh, eyes of God Himself. And He said, I, I'm not going to put up with it any longer. I'm going to judge Him. Abraham lives outside those cities. And he's a sojourner. He's a pilgrim. Lot lives right in the middle of it. When God gets ready to exercise His wrath and judgment upon the cities, if you didn't know anything else about it, you would go, you know what? Who needs to know this first? Lot. Lot needs to know this first. Because here's the deal. He lives there. He lives there. We can get, we can, I can get to Abraham later. <clears throat> but the person that needs to know this first is Lot. Because he lives there. But yet, who is it that's informed first? It's the believer who's in fellowship and relationship. See, he gets to know. Now this is a big deal here. The Bible does say, as a matter of fact, let's turn there in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. And let's look at it verse 32. Proverbs 3.32 says this, the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. That God actually confides in a believer who's in relationship and fellowship with Him. And because Abraham was in relationship and fellowship, He gave him information ahead of Lot, even though Lot was really, humanly speaking, the one who was in most need of it. But why is that? The reason that is, a reason that is, is because the believer in fellowship, with that information, God knew what He was going to do with it. God knew what He was going to do with that information. What He was going to do was, is He was going to make an appeal back to God to spare those in the city who were saved. And not only that, but God, if you find enough of them who are saved, would you spare the rest of them as well? See, God knew He had found a man who had taken the time to know the heart of God and was being transformed into the heart of God. And so this man, who knew the heart of God and had a heart like God, God knew that when He got the information to him, He would pray back to him based on what He knew about God. See, the guy in fellowship is the one who got the warning. That's always the way it is. That's always the way it is. Prophets get, get information ahead of time. And the, the information seems to be inconsistent with what everybody else sees. And so they're written off as being idiots. See, the word of prophecy, I'm not talking about an addition to God's word. The prophets in God's word got in trouble. Every last one of them. The last thing you want to vo volunteer for in, 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 the, in Bible writ is to be a prophet. That's not a good position. I'd rather have something else. I'd photo resume to become something else besides a prophet. And they get all these words from God and they look around and go, wait a minute now, hold on just a second. You're getting all that worked up about nothing. 
You remember, we made the case a couple of weeks ago, the only thing that made that day different than any other day was God's Word. Otherwise, it was routine. It was cereal, Cheerios in the morning. It was a commute. It was whatever it was. When you get up in the morning, it was the same thing. Mr. and Mrs. Lott are reading the paper, the Sodom Times, and he's sitting there with his glasses doing like this, looking like that, and he's looking around, and everything's going great, and everything's wonderful. Except for one thing. God said it wasn't going to be a wonderful day. It was going to be a day unlike any other, because this is the last day that these cities will ever be traced on this earth. See, it is the watchful person. We've talked about this before, and it, it, and it, and it, and it, it's a great analogy. But the guy that one of my associate pastors, when we first started the church, he, he does a lot of work at uh, Emory University. And most of the remodeling work they do at Emory, they do it through his construction company. And we were here setting up one day, and he was just telling me, he said, you'd be amazed at these operating rooms that we go into. He said, you'd be just blown away. And, and they, they redo the whole operating room and put in this big piece of equipment that costs no telling what. And redo those rooms all the time. And he said, you'd be amazed at the amount of surgery that takes place when the surgeon never looks down at the patient, but is always looking at the screen that's up here. So they take the screen, and they got three or four of them, and they position them strategically in front of the surgeon. And he's there working on the patient and, and he's doing detailed, important, especially if you're the patient, work on the patient, but he's not looking down at the patient. He's looking at the film, the real-time film from cameras that are placed around the patient. And he's letting that guide what his hands do. That's a picture of a believer who's in fellowship. He's got an orientation toward God. He's looking to get things eternal. The first place he goes to get his information is not the paper or not what other people say about God. He goes straight to God. And he goes to God in his word and he lets the word interpret events rather than trying to take events and shove them into the word. And then everything that he does is guided by what not what he's looking at here but what he's looking at there. And we have the potential for that. That's why God gave the information to Abraham first. It wasn't because he just stood to most benefit from it, because he didn't stand to most benefit from it. Where he was didn't get destroyed. He gave him the word because he knew what he would do with it, because Abraham had a habit of doing that with it. Why? Because he was watchful. Boy, the Bible has a lot to say about being watchful. Y'all ready to do a Bible drill? Look at Matthew chapter 24. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Get ready. Lick your fingers. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Look at this. Being watchful. Being aware. How can you process and how can I process anything and that goes on around us except by and assess it by the Word of the living God? He was watchful. That word, that really means to be serious. It means to be right-minded. It means to curb one's passions in, in, a, in a God way and to be upright, to be looking above, to be watchful. And look what he says here from the words of our Lord, the mouth of our Lord Himself. For false Christs and false, and false prophets will rise and so show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible. Um, I'm supposed to be at 42. I got glasses. I thought that would help. Um, I'm sorry, 42. All right, here we go. 
Watch therefore, Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord is coming. Look at 25, 13. Turn over one there. Look at 25, 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Chapter 26, verse 41. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Mark 13, 33. Mark 13, 33. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants to each to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening at midnight, at the crowning of the uh, crowing of the rooster or in the morning. Watch. Watch. Verse 37. And what I say to you, I say to you all. Watch. Watch. His return is imminent. 1434 in the same book of Mark. 1434. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. Watch. Henry Backaby came to the church I was the associate pastor of several years back. And I'll never forget it. It was a powerful word he had to deliver. Here's what he said. He said in the context of the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus said, watch and pray, He was saying that. The reason He called them to watch was because while they watched, it set the prayer agenda. See, by watching, you know how to pray. That's a big deal. I want to know how and what and how to intercede. And so when you're watching and you're looking and we have an upward orientation and we're in fellowship with the Lord and we're walking uprightly, the Bible says He gives that man secret counsel. The Bible, the Bible says in John 15, look at it. And we looked at this before. The Bible says in John 15, verse 14 and 15. You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants. Listen, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I've made known to you. Abraham. That's what I'm about to do. Should I let Abraham in on it? Yeah. I need to let Abraham in on it. Why? Because he's going to go back at you. He's going to go right back to the information because it set his prayer agenda. Hey, judgment is coming. I'm about to take them out. Judgment is coming. And Abraham says, oh, okay, rather than running into the tent and trying to do the things that we might wind up doing or looking back and wondering, having fond remembrances of going to see nephew Lot at Sodom and, and lamenting and mourning its passing away, what does he do? But he goes before the Lord and says, wait a minute, Lord, before you go on your way, may I make an appeal to you? May I make an appeal to you? He was watching. See, watchful people tell the truth. Whether the truth lands on receptive ears or not. 
when you get privy to something in the Scriptures and God shows you something, part of the test of whether or not you really believe it is a majority of the time, the people around you, although well-intended, didn't hear it. And because they didn't hear it, they've got a different mindset than you do. And so therefore, the, the God uses the difference between what they think they heard or what they didn't hear and what you clearly heard and you're moving on and their confusion and doubt and ridicule of you to further deepen your resolve to believe what you heard. It'll be tested just like that. I promise you that. You get a word from the Lord, it's going to be tested. You can, you can, just, you can just mark that down. James 2.23 Let's follow the line of thinking here with Abraham. Look at James 2.23 He came and warned Abraham of impending judgment because he knew it was coming. And what did he say? Why did he do that? This is talking about Abraham's faith and works coming together when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar in Genesis chapter 22. The Bible says in verse 23 of James 2, And the Scriptures was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And Abraham was called the friend of God. I don't only call you servant, I call you friend. Because a servant is not privy to what the master's doing. But because you're my friend, I'm going to tell you. And he told Abraham. Abraham was watchful. Abraham was looking for God. Abraham was looking. Where are you working, God? Show me. Would you, would you just, would, would I just dare to ask you to, to unveil the absolute um, curtains of heaven and show me where you're working? Would you show it to me? Would you let me see it? You know, would you, would you let me see it? What Rosemary shared this morning. If anybody has any kind of appetite for listening to the things of God, whereas before they didn't, that's God. That doesn't come natural. What you mean, when, when you're in front of somebody, you don't have to pray and ask the Lord. If they are asking questions, or it leads to some kind of questioning that leads to some spiritual direction or spiritual bent, don't bother asking God whether or not He's working. He's working. He's working. Because we don't come to that on our own. We don't reach those places on our own. God does that. That's a supernatural activity of God. He had a heads-up orientation. Because see, here's what everybody's looking for. We talked about this before. Look at Isaiah chapter 30. This is where we're living. This is where we're living. Look at Isaiah chapter 30. The prophet Isaiah prophesying to a rebellious people that God's getting ready to wipe out if they don't repent. And guess what? They didn't repent. And guess what? God wiped them out. And His word to a rebellious people. When people are rebellion, they don't want to hear. They don't want to hear anything that runs against the grain. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 8 to 11. Now go write it before them on a tablet and note it on a scroll that it may be, time, may, may be for time to come forever and ever that this is a rebellious people, lying children, Children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Who's the Holy One of Israel? Jesus. Cease! Get out of the way. 
this tidy life that I've built with you out of it, even though I've put your name on it. It's a fraud. It's a sham. But don't send any money in my way to call it out as being a sham. I don't want to hear it. I've got your name slapped on my finances. I've got your name slapped on my family. I've got your name slapped on my priorities. It's all there, but it's a sham. It's window dressing, so don't come to me and ever say that Jesus is knocking on the door to get into a place that I put His name on. Don't do that. You ever do that in elementary school? They come up to you and they say, and somebody's telling you something you don't want to hear, and they go, like that. It's exactly what happened in Isaiah chapter seven, I mean, Acts chapter seven, when Stephen was prophesying and said, "Here's your track record with God." And the Bible says they ran at him with their, with their faces gnarled, and they stopped up their ears and they went like that. So they shut off his voice. Everything that the world's doing right now, and especially in this nation, is to stop that voice. Just stop that voice. If we have to kill him, we'll do it. If Jesus was walking the streets of Jerusalem right now. They would kill him all over again. Isaiah was the friend of God. I mean, uh, Abraham was a friend of God. I guess when you're a friend of God, you don't mind if you lose all other friends. Because that usually goes with the territory. You want to be misunderstood? Follow Christ. You know what? We use that term loosely. I want to follow Christ. You do? Really? Go look in the Scriptures and see what that means. And then come back. Matter of fact, we should do that, didn't we? Count the cost. Did he say that? Go check it out. I'm not, I'm not Amway. I don't have a meeting and then all of a sudden come up to you and go, boo, this is what it is. No, no, no. I'll let you know up front. You come into this meeting, that's what it's going to be like. Count the cost right now. This is it. Cease. Look at Ezekiel. Let's don't be, let's don't be so hard on the nation of Israel. Just look at the state of the church right now. Talk to me. I want some warm and fuzzy. Don't confront my flesh. Don't confront my sin. Don't confront my rebellion. Even though it's cloaked so well. Somebody might get on to it. Let me tell you this. The problem is that prophets in the Bible, the problem is not that they were, that they were wrong. They were just right too early. It wasn't that they were wrong. They were just right too early. Because see... What they said was coming, did indeed come. But there was no evidence in the mind of the rebellion around them that it was until it did. And it did. Look at Ezekiel chapter 2 verse 4. This is God commissioning His prophet. And by the way, again, again, you wouldn't want to apply for that. There's no way. Oh, I want to be in Ezekiel. I want to be a Elijah or, or, or Isaiah. Get sawn in half by a wooden saw. You wouldn't apply if I promise you you wouldn't flood a resume for this position. Here's what he said to him. They're impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. Let me ask you a question. How many times have you heard it said, or maybe you've practiced this, that I'm not going to say anything because I don't anticipate it's going to be received well. Have you ever done that? I have. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it because I don't anticipate this is going to be received well. What is what you're about to say, Spirit-led? Is it of the Lord? Well, I, you know, as far as I know, I believe it is. Well, since when 
Do results dictate obedience? We live in such a pragmatic age. That's how we are. We assess everything as to whether or not it works. If it works, it must be of the Lord. If it doesn't, it must not be. That's good except for the Bible. Other than the Bible, that just messes everything up. The Bible has a way of just messing our thoughts up so badly. And yet, God speaks to this prophet and says, here's the deal. I hold you not responsible. You have no response involved in their response. That's up to me and them. But here's what I hold you responsible for. You speak the truth. And when it's the end of the day, when you go down the road, if they send you down the road, at least they'll know a prophet has been among them. You spoke the truth. Look what it says. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of their words. The briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Well, that's flattering. Do not be afraid of their words or be dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, and whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. You want to be rebellious? Just like them? Take what I've given you and withhold it. That's what the church is doing nowadays in our culture. We're taking what God's given us and we're withholding it. Look at, look at uh, 16, Ezekiel 3, 16. There are two people personified here. There are two warnings. There are two things. Two commissions. The first one is to unsave people, Ashley. And the second one is to save people who don't act like it. Alright, here's the first one. This is lost people. Now it shall come to the pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman. Hmm. A watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, that means lost people, you shall surely die and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked man from his wicked ways to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but yet his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Now, the Apostle Paul said this in his ministry. He said, you know what? Here's the deal. I have not neglected to claim to you and proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. And so therefore, because I've claimed to you the whole counsel of God and have withheld nothing from you, you're what? Your blood is not on my hands. Your blood is not on my hands. Say to the lost man, repent. Repent. I'm convinced that's the second greatest word in the English language. Is Repent. It's second only to Jesus. Repent. Repent. Agree with God. Come into agreement with Him against yourself and repent. The Lord said, I take no pleasure in the death of the ungodly, but that she, he, she should repent. That was Abraham's disposition towards Sodom and Gomorrah. He was there long enough to know they deserved everything they had coming to them. But what did he make an appeal for? He not only made an appeal for those who were righteous, but he made an appeal that on the basis of a limited number of people that you find righteous, will you stretch it out more for Sodom and Gomorrah to repent? He had found the heart of God. Boy, we need to get that. We need to receive that. We need to own that, dear ones. And say, you know what? We get, they've got what's coming to them. God's a just God. But you know what? Because of my personal experience, I found Him to be a Savior. And God, give them one more chance. Turn this thing around one more time. Give them a chance that they would repent. 
God is not unjust if they don't. He is not unloving if they don't. His, his character remains intact. But our appeal to Him should be based on His character. And you cannot make an appeal to Him in prayer based on His character unless you spent some time getting to know it. That's what Abraham was doing. Here's the saved man. Verse 20. You got the lost man. And here's the saved man. Again, when a righteous man, now right, what's that? When a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity. That's a, that's a Christian in rebellion. This is a Christian who's in relationship but not fellowship. He said, when he commits iniquity, I will lay a stumbling block before him and, and he shall die because you did not give him warning. He shall die in his sin and his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered but his blood I will require at your hands. Let me tell you this. In most churches, you could live like the devil and they will sanction your ungodly living, pat you on the back and say everything's alright and according to this, churches that do this, I believe, have the blood of the saints on their hands. We have a vested interest in one another. That's why we try to stay distant and far removed sometimes. It's because we don't want anybody to get in a mess in the garment in our business. What does love dictate though? Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man, now watch that. That's, that's the righteous man now. This is the man who's headed for heaven. This is Lot. That the righteous should not sin. And he does not sin. He should surely live because he took warning. And you have delivered your soul. A warning. The gospel before it's everything. The first part of the gospel is a warning, isn't it? It's a warning. Watchful. Why does God give us privileged information? Isn't it privileged information that you and I could look into the Scriptures and more importantly let the Scriptures look into us? We could be biblically informed people and we could take what we've learned and we could petition it back to Him. He gives that to people who are in fellowship with Him. I'm not talking about... Well, now don't hear me say, I'm not talking... Throw, turn off the television and dismiss these date callers. Anybody that starts and says, well, in the next six months this is going to happen, in the next six months, just turn that off. Don't even bother with that mess. God has spoken. He'll come when He gets ready to. only thing I know about it is, is it'll be when it's least expected. But I can tell you this, not date calling, but when God gives us privileged information and people are around us every day whose lives are being destroyed by the scourge of sin, we alone as believers have the experience and the Word that will transform our life. And how do we know that? Because two reasons. One is the Word of God, which is the most important one. And the second one is, is He's done it for me. He's done it for me. Watchful people get to know. People who are in fellowship get heads up. Let me give you a heads up. Tell you what's happening. You know why I'm going to give you a heads up? Because your head's already up. You're already looking my way. You're already looking my way. We're not distant and far removed. I don't have to, I don't want to, I love you and I appreciate you, but I have no interest in knowing God through your experience. Your experience might accentuate my journey and help me and encourage me along the way and I appreciate that and you do that for me. But I'm here to tell you, I'm stingy about that. I won't go go God for myself. I don't want to be out in the, in the field, slavering away, sweating away in the field and have another slave over here beside me that says, don't ever go up there and talk to him because he'll slap you around and you know, and, and what have you. I want to know Him from my personal journey right there at His feet. doesn't mean that you don't help me and it doesn't mean that I hopefully don't help you. But I'm here to tell you, God does not have grandchildren, He only has children.
He wants us to know Him. The heads up guy, the guy who's watchful and in fellowship gets to know things. And the reason he gets to know things is because God has already put in his heart such a bent toward him. He knows what he's going to do with the information. He's not going to abuse it. God doesn't cast his pearls before swine. He gives a word to those who've been seeking him already and walking in an upright walk with Jesus and informs them so that the first thing that they can do before anything else is pray. I'm just going to here to tell you, I don't see it in the Bible where the, 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 intimate, the imminent return of Jesus Christ means we go out and just spin ourselves to death in a bunch of undirected, unguarded, un, un, unchecked frenzy of activity because judgment's coming. I believe it's much more ordinary but yet extraordinary than that. That in the ordinary ebb and flow of living, in the ordinary things at Publix, and we spend most of our time there, and most of our money, and so in the, and going here into the car wash, in the ordinary things of living, in the cubicle, in the cul-de-sac, and all of those places, or at Chick-fil-A, or wherever it might be, just in the ordinary ebb and flow of living, that Christ is somehow or another got enough of me, and has killed enough of me that He's seen every now and then. You know what? Not just seen, but heard from. I tell you this, in order, in order to share the gospel, you've got to use words. Yeah. It's true, y'all. You've heard it said before in a great church, Father, I can't remember his name, some of you probably would. I'm 51, give me a break. Said, share the gospel with everybody. And if necessary, use words. Only problem that's the Bible. Other than that, that's great, great theology. When I got saved, somebody was using words. Okay. Be watchful. Are you watchful? Are we so oriented? Are we still trying to do surgery the old way? Cutting up people? You know, we're like the guy. Aaron, we're kind of like the guy. This is probably not a television commercial that's on anymore. And uh, we don't have cable, so I hardly know. I don't know what's on or, on or anything like that. But there was one on one time, at one time, where this guy's sitting in his, uh, in his kitchen. And he's on the phone. And he's talking about, I guess, the, the whole point of the commercial is getting experts to do what experts ought to be doing. And he's sitting there right there, and I guess he's trying to save money. And he's on the phone, and he says, okay, make the incision. And he does like that, and he says, shouldn't you be doing this? <laughs> yeah. He's talking to his doctor, you know. Shouldn't you be doing this? And that's kind of the way we're living. You know, we're, 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 we've got misinformation because we hadn't had an opportunity to get the right information. And once we get the right information, we abuse what we got. And so therefore we get less than what we expect. And we get confused and disillusioned when we should really just step back and say, what have I done with the information I already know? I just tell you this right now. I think we now don't get mad. I'll probably get some emails about this. But most of us in this room, as of right now, know enough about God to last a lifetime. I don't mean you stop here. I don't mean that. None of that. No, don't grow in grace. None of that. I don't mean that. I'm just saying right now. Matter of fact, I believe this. And, and I'm, I'll tell you right now, I've done months of it where we train people to share the gospel. But I can tell you this, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with going over ways to share the gospel and learning. But I'm here to tell you this. I find it hard to believe that somebody who is a Christian cannot share the gospel with somebody because they got into it. Amen? 
And so therefore, God gives us this information. I want to ask you a question. I'm going to ask me one too. And we're going to go to the Lord's Supper. What are we doing with the information that we've been given? What, is, what are we doing with the revelation that we have? Because here's the, here's the thing. There's something about revelation that's true about this. When a lost person, through the sovereign work and wooing of God, responds to the revelation they've been given, God gives them further revelation. And I believe the same is true in Christendom. That when once we get revelation and we begin to respond in obedient faith to the revelation given, He'll give us more. And He did that with Abraham. And the one who stood to need the information the most was Lot. But guess what? who got informed first was Abraham. I want to be an Abraham. Be watchful. Let's look around. And before we look around, don't get your information and your promptings in prayer from looking around. Get them from looking up. And then when you look up, you can readily assess what's around but other than that, it's just your best guess and mine. And we're doing dangerous surgery. We're like the guy in the in the in the uh, in the in the in the kitchen counter trying to do major surgery, open heart surgery on ourselves with a letter up. We're gonna do some damage. I'm here to tell you. Amen. Uh, we're gonna have the Lord's supper. We get an opportunity to let the Lord sift through and search our hearts, and make sure that we're in a relationship. I'll give you a couple of warnings, as we always do. Not a, we do this because God says do it. If you have a relationship, if you repented toward God and put Jesus and place faith in Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with Him, and that's the first qualifier to participate in this wonderful act of worship. The second one be we need to be in right fellowship. And the way to be in fellowship, as you know, is to not harbor habitual sin that we refuse to repent over. We got an opportunity this morning to ask the Lord to search our hearts and see if we're in a relationship and fellowship. If you're in a relationship and fellowship, take this cup and take this bread. If you're not in a relationship, just stay here and watch and learn and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. If you're in a relationship but you're not in fellowship, repent. Just repent. Right now, today, repent so that you can be in communion with the Lord and celebrate symbolically what is yours by inheritance a spiritual reality that we can enjoy and walk in let's do that this morning brother brian will you come